Thank you, Haley. She sang that song in the first service this morning. There's a passage of scripture that sometimes God will speak to you while you're preaching. And a few weeks ago when I was preaching, that happened to me. I was reading from Romans 8.15 out of the message where Paul translates, we cry, Abba, Father. He translates that as, what's next, Papa? What's next, Papa? And that has been resonating in my spirit. And I was with a man who was dying. And just suddenly in his room, I felt this real check in my spirit. Share that with him. And so I leaned down over his bed and I said, you know how you and I grew up quoting how the Spirit of the Lord bears witness with our spirit. And we cry out, Abba, Father. So I was just reading from the message, what's next, Papa? And I said, there's so more for us after this. This is not the end. And I saw this smile break out across his face. Friends, I want you to know, God may lead us into that great unknown, but as long as he is with us, we've been made more than overcomers in Christ. Can you say amen? And I want to, well, yeah, go ahead. Give the Lord a hand of praise. I, I have been praying that just over and over, Lord, what's next? So this morning, I want to talk to you about listening to your heavenly father. My dad was a wonderful man. And I can't help but talk about the things I'm proud of. My dad's one of them. Georgia Bulldogs is another one of them. Anybody watched the Protestants and the Catholics play last night? <laughs> I got a whole new respect for Notre Dame. What a great team. I mean, what a great ball game. But my dad, we were talking, my sisters and I, one time about how Daddy was the one that always woke us up, 6 o'clock every morning. My dad would um, come down the hallway, and he'd rub his beard on your face when he was hugging you in the morning. And you're like, Dad, Dad, Dad. And then he'd just do it on purpose, just rub your neck and your, your face. He was mischievous sometimes. Sometimes he'd come in, he'd put a clothespin on the end of your, on the earlobe. And you were wide awake then. But he always held us and hugged us right there in bed and woke us up. I only remember one time in my life my mother ever waking me up. My dad was always the one that came in and woke us up. And I was asking mom about that, and we were having such a good conversation. My dad's voice was strong. It boomed. I could hear my dad's voice. It didn't matter where we were at. And I knew when sin entered my heart. I knew exactly when sin entered my heart because sometimes my dad would speak and I wanted to act like I didn't hear him because I was doing something and I didn't want to be interrupted. Any other sinners in the building like me this morning? The rest of you are liars and I know it. One time I didn't answer and he came around the hallway and he says, fella, did you hear me? Now sin grows, and I wanted to go, no, sir. <laughs> but I knew he would know, and I feared his wrath more than I feared being honest. So I said, yes, sir. And then he asked that question 
no teenager wants to hear. And he said, Denny, Benny, why didn't you answer me? And I wanted to sin again, but I knew better. And I said, because I knew you had something for me to do. Well, that's why I called you. So when you pray that prayer, what's next, Papa? You're saying, Lord, I'm not going to make up my mind if I want to do it. I just want to know what you want me to do. Whatever you say, I'm going to do it. No matter the cost, no matter the place, whatever you say, I'm going to. That's how you hear the voice of the Father. I mean, God's not going to come and speak to you if you don't already make up your mind, God, whatever you say, I'm going to do. Now, as we walk through this this morning, I want to remind you that I've, I've preached on this subject several times before, but I'm going to talk about three things that I've never really talked about in listening to God. But I want to tell you, God will never speak to you outside the confines of the Word of God. Whatever you feel like God is saying to you, if it doesn't line up with the Bible, that's not God talking to you. It may be your pizza last night. It may be the raw oysters you ate. It may be your wife. It may be your children. But if it's outside the Word of God, then it's not the Lord. So we live in a wonderful, wonderful time. I mean, we have something the prophets didn't have. We have something that the apostles didn't have. We have the scriptures. We have the gospels. The early church didn't even have these yet. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We have the, the epistles. We have the revelation about the end. Jesus is coming soon. In case you haven't thought about that lately, let me tell you, He's coming soon. Have you prayed Maranatha lately? Lord, come quickly. And so we have this sure word. And so there's a danger in trying to get God to speak to you outside of the Bible. So I find myself every single morning before I begin my devotional reading early in the morning, I'm praying, Lord, incline my heart into your word. I like that David said incline, not decline, but incline. I want my heart lifted up to what you're going to say as I hold my scriptures this morning. Because there are times that I come to read my Bible, and I'm just being honest, I really don't want to read, and I really don't want to listen that morning. So I pray, Lord, incline my heart. Lord, open my eyes to behold wonderful things out of your word as I read this morning. Lord, grant me understanding in all these things, for I don't want to be those people, one of those people that is ever hearing and never understanding. I want to understand your word, what you're saying to me today. Is there a promise for me to claim? Is there a commandment I need to obey? Is there a sin you want to convict me of this morning, Lord? And so as I go through that, it's, it's kind of like getting my heart ready to hear from God. Nobody likes weeding the garden. Anybody ever had a garden in here? Everybody likes harvesting the fruit, but nobody likes weeding the garden. And then there are mornings I come and I'm just like a hungry boy. I can't get enough. So you come to the Bible and that's, that's the primary way you hear from the Lord. 
But as we've talked about before, the Holy Spirit will speak to you. We've talked about how to judge those impressions. I've spent several messages on dealing with that. We've talked before about how to test the spirits. The Bible tells us where to test the spirits. So this morning, I want to talk to you about three other ways that God speaks to you if you'll be open and listen. So if you would, stand with me, and let's go to him in prayer this morning. By the way, those of you in the prayer service last night, I asked you to pray for me that I would go to bed at halftime. I did. Your prayers were answered. I went to bed, but I couldn't sleep. I kept reaching over and grabbing the phone, and Becky Pratt finally rolled over and said, just watch the game. So I was an obedient husband. <laughs> I just want you to know God answered your prayer. He always answers prayer. So let's pray together. Father, we come to the word of the Lord this morning. Would you incline our hearts to hear the word of the Lord? Would you open our eyes to behold wonderful things out of your word this morning? And above all, God, <clears throat> grant us understanding that as we read and study the word of the Lord this morning, you have said that it's through the foolishness of preaching that you've chosen to save us. Lord, I pray that right now that the ministry of preaching the Word will be heard and experienced by everyone, including the preacher. In Christ's name I pray. And everybody said, Amen. God bless you. You can be seated this morning. Well, the first thing I'd like you to know is that God speaks to us in our circumstances. God speaks to us in our circumstances. One of the things that the Bible assures us of is that God has a purpose and God has a plan for all of our lives. God has direction for all of our lives. God is orchestrating events in our lives that sometimes we can't even see. A song from my childhood always comes back to my thinking when I'm trying to understand some of the various things I'm processing. Invisible hands are waiting to guide us. Invisible hands will carry us through. How faith in the Lord, He's always beside us. And God's invisible hand is always with you. You're surrounded. You've come this morning, the Bible says, to a place where myriad of angels are gathered. We've come to the heavenly Mount Zion to worship Him. It's just a, one of those poetic and beautiful ways that the Scripture describes what we cannot see that happens in the church of the living God. One of the things that God assures us of is that God works in everything for our good. He works in all of our circumstances, both the good ones and the bad ones. And sometimes, and it's one of the reasons that I've enjoyed keeping a journal through most of my life is because it's helped me to go back and to process and to see what God has been doing, not only through the times of blessing, but also through those challenging circumstances I faced. I've come to the conclusion that life is really one big set of circumstances, one big set of unplanned circumstances that happen. It's the unplanned email. It's the unplanned health crisis. It's the unplanned baby. How many times have I had families say to me, this is our unplanned blessing. And what they're saying is this child came. We weren't trying to have children. And this, this child came. It's our unplanned blessing. Sometimes it's that 
unplanned promotion. It's marriage, it's family, it's grandparents, it's friends, it's colleagues, it's the different seasons of life. I've recommended to you before Chuck Swindoll's book, The Seasons of Life. It's accidents, it's health, it's illness. A doctor not too long ago asked me for a book about prayers that had been answered regarding health. And so I sent him a book that I had just finished reading, written by a doctor, and those prayers and how he had worked with his patients. And he called me back and thanked me. He said, I've already read the book. I've already been given copies of the book away to other doctor friends of mine because he wants them to know that there is a God that answers prayer. He wants them to know that there is more to life than the circumstances and the limited tools that we have to deal with life. Friends, we have a heavenly Father who knows our name, who cares for us, and walks with us day in and day out. Can we give him a hand of praise for that this morning? A few years ago, Becky led a Bible study for our university students, and in the book they were studying by Henry and and Richard Blackaby, there was this quote that I highlighted, the key to understanding our circumstances is to focus on Christ rather than our circumstances, to focus upon Jesus, to keep our eyes upon the Lord in the blessings and in the trials as well. The Scriptures tell us in Romans 8, chapter Uh, excuse me, chapter 8 and verse 37, no, despite all these things. Now, he's talking about the trials and the sufferings, but I believe you can include the blessings right there as well. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ. Say that with me. Overwhelming victory is ours through Christ. Say it one more time. Overwhelming victory is ours through Christ. One more time with conviction. Overwhelming victory is ours through Christ. I remember being warned that when you're blessed, the Bible warns us when we're blessed, lest we forget the Lord who has blessed us. When we have built houses and planted vineyards, lest we forget the Lord who has blessed us. Friends, blessings become a curse when they take our eyes off of Jesus Christ. The key to life, I believe, is in the good times and the hard times, we keep our eyes upon Jesus Christ because that's where the overwhelming victory is ours. And I I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, angels nor demons, our fears for today, our worries about tomorrow, nor even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. Aren't you grateful for that this morning? That God's hand is going to keep you. God's hand is going to sustain you. And there will come times in life, it may be some of the things that Pastor Corey was praying about that came right out of our prayer request that were turned into the church this week. There may be some things that you're facing that are impossible circumstances, or the doctor has told you there's no hope, and this week I held hands with someone and we prayed together because the doctor said there's no hope, there's no more we can do. And I looked at them and I said, let's join hands hands together and let's pray. What's next, Papa? Because there's always something more when it comes to Jesus Christ. There may be recovery, but if you close your eyes, you will open your eyes in a twinkling to see the face of your Savior who loves you so much, but we are not going to give up 
up now because in every circumstance, overwhelming victory is ours. Can we praise him one more time this morning? We have to be persuaded of that. When the children of Israel faced that terrible crisis that they were in with the armies of Pharaoh behind them and the Red Sea in front of them, there came a point that God said to Moses, tell the people to quit prying out to me and extend your staff over that sea and move forward. And the Lord said, these are the words he said in Exodus 14, the Lord himself will fight for you. You won't have to lift a finger in your defense. And when that crossing happened, the Bible says as a result of that miracle, they put their faith in God and in his servant Moses. I want to submit to you this morning that the purpose for every circumstance today is that you and I will keep our focus upon Jesus Christ. The Lord says that when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit. He will teach you everything and will remind you of everything. Now listen, of what I have told you. Not something that you've read out of a book, not something that you heard on television, not the doubt that you've heard about, the, but the Holy Spirit will remind you of the words of our Savior who fulfilled the law, who taught us the meaning of the law. He'll help you to understand it. It will bring comfort to you. How many times in mine and Becky's life as I look back over our journal it's the reason that we believe in small groups so much, because we've gone through certain crises or circumstances in our own personal lives, and our people that we've done life with, people that we've prayed with, they've been there. We've been able to pour our hearts out with them when we didn't know what to do. We didn't know which course to take. The Bible says that there is safety in having many advisors. And one of the reasons we want every one of you to be in a small group is because you need a small group leader and you need a small group family that you can open your heart with and you can share with. When you're going through a health crisis or you're raising teenagers or you're, you're, you don't know what to do about your job or you're facing with a decision, what comfort there is to know that where two or three of us are gathered in the presence of Jesus, that God is able to surround us. One of the greatest men of faith I've ever known, I won't call his name because our podcast goes out and people listen, but one of the greatest men of faith I've ever known, I was able to secure an hour with him. He was a powerful preacher, powerful man in the spirit. I came to visit with him, and one of my questions that I had asked, I was in my 30s, that I asked of him was, do you have a small group of people that gather and pray with you? And he looked across his desk at me, and he said to me, son, don't ever surround yourself with a small group of people because you'll never know who you can trust. The only person you need to have in your life is your wife. There's nobody more than I trust than my wife. There's nobody that I would share with. I don't open up my life. I put committees between me and everybody. That's been the key to my ministry. And sadly, 15 years later to the date, I watched as this man's ministry collapsed and his family collapsed. Let me tell you this morning, you 
and I alone are not enough to meet some of the challenges that we face in life. There is safety in advisors. There is safety in a small group. And friends, we tell you this morning this, not because we want to be a church with small groups. We want to be a church built upon small groups that we can live through life's circumstances together. Can we give him a hand of praise for that as well this morning? There is safety, say that word with me, safety in having many advisors. Safety in having many advisors. It doesn't mean you've got to do everything they tell you to do because I want you to know if you've got one problem and you share it with a group of 12 or 14 people, you may come out of there with 14 different opinions about what to do. But you know what? I'm pretty sure that out of those 14 opinions, something is going to resonate with your spirit and something's going to give you a handle to hang on to. Can you say amen to that? I'm pretty sure that 14 heads put together who love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and they look to the scriptures together and they pray and fast together, I'm pretty sure some wisdom is going to come out of that. Paul said, excuse me, the scripture says in the book of Acts, it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us. There is a witness of the spirit we can experience in our small groups so we need those around us it helps us friends I just want you to know God loves you the Holy Spirit will teach you and there is wisdom in the midst of many counselors number two and this may sound a little self-serving but I want you to listen carefully the scriptures show me that God speaks to us through our pastors the scripture shows me that God speaks to us through our pastors Pastoring is a divine call. The call to preach is a divine call. I haven't met very many people in my life who just said to me, you know, I grew up wanting to be a preacher. Most every single preacher that I've met and interviewed, and I've interviewed so many, have told me I had other dreams, I had other plans, but at some point in my life, I experienced the call of God upon my life. I experienced something, and I tried to resist it, and I tried to fight it, and I've been miserable. I interviewed the wife of a, of a multimillionaire, a very powerful man, influential man. By the way, he loved the Lord with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. But the woman he married, I found out that she had wanted to be a missionary. She felt like God had called her to go and, and share the gospel in a particular land and country. And so I scheduled an appointment with her. And, and I got the appointment and was able to sit down. And I said, this is what I heard. Is this true? And she said, absolutely. And tears began to flow out of her eyes. And she said, I disobeyed the Lord. She called her husband's name. We'll call him Steve. She said, I met Steve. He swept me off my feet. He was kind. He was charming. He loved the Lord. And I was just convinced we could serve the Lord together. But in my heart, that burden for missions, and though we support missions at over a million dollars a year from our own personal funds, she says, I know I've missed the call of God. And there, what I had hoped to be an interview was a prayer session with her. Friends, there is a call that that comes from God that you either obey or you disobey and if you disobey that call you wrestle with the conviction of the Holy Spirit because you know the Lord laid his hand upon you Bruce Tillman wrote these words the pulpit calls those anointed to it as the sea calls its sailor and like the sea it batters and bruises and does not rest to preach to really preach is to die naked a little at the time and to know each time you do it that you must do it again 
again. I don't tell you that to feel sorry for the pastors here at Woodland or to feel sorry for your pastor if you're visiting with us or if you're listening online. I don't tell you to feel sorry, but I want you to understand the call to preach is not a human choice. The call to preach is not something we decided to do, but the hand of God was laid upon us. And like Jeremiah, it was like a fire shut up inside of our bones. But I couldn't have told you what I'm going to tell you 20 years ago or 30 years ago or 40 years ago, but I can tell you now that the call to preach is more than a call to a sermon. It's a call of God laying his hand upon you and building your life day after day after day because the life you live is more important than any sermon you've ever preached. Because when those ministries cavitate or collapse because of ignoring the word of the Lord, it's like everybody suddenly ignores whatever good may have come. The man I shared with you accomplished much good, but there was a weak spot in his armor when he said, I don't trust anybody else. Friends, if you can't trust, you will never go very far in the ministry. Vulnerability is not a weakness. Vulnerability is a strength when you surround yourself with the people of God. Can we praise him again this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Ralph Turnbull wrote these words, preaching is the art of a sermon and delivering it. Why no, that is not preaching. Preaching is the art of making a preacher, delivering that. Preaching is the outrush of a soul and a speech. Therefore, the elemental business in preaching is not with the preaching, but the preacher. It's no trouble to preach, but a vast trouble to construct a preacher. What then in light of this is the task of the preacher, listen carefully, mainly this, the amassing of a great soul is to have something worthwhile to give. The sermon is the preacher up to date. Pastor Rick, you are a great soul, sir. Pastor Corey is a great soul. When you know Pastor Mark, he's a great soul this morning. I want you to know God is building something in the hearts and the lives of your pastors. And you need to understand, we don't come up here with canned sermons. We don't come up here preaching other people's sermons, but we seek the Lord. And what we pray is the same thing would happen with us that happened in the Bible. For instance, in Jonah chapter 1, the Bible says, the Lord gave a message to Jonah. And we pray, Lord, like you did for Peter, like you did for Paul, like you did for Elijah, like you did for Elisha, and like you did for Jesus, that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to proclaim the good news, the glad tidings of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah! 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 You've got to understand this morning, there's something supernatural about preaching. You take away the supernatural element of it, and it is nothing more than the words of men. But if it's the Word of God delivered, then you need to say, God, what are you saying to me? God, what are you speaking to me? You need to pray for your pastor. You need to pray, God, give him boldness. You need to pray, God, give him courage. You need to pray, God, speak to him. Incline his heart to the Word of the Lord. Open his eyes to the Word of the Lord. Give him understanding into the word of the Lord. And Father, we need a message from you. We don't need time. We don't need Newsweek. We don't need the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal or Fox or CNN or the Free Press or the Detroit News. We need the word of the Lord. 
My people perish for a lack of understanding, the scripture says. We need the word of God. So I plead with you, pray for your pastors. You say, Pastor, do you have pastors you listen to? Absolutely. There are men that I listen to like Jack Hayford who speak into my soul. There are men like the one I quoted you, John Piper, that I listen to that speaks to my soul. There are men like our district superintendent, Jeff Halavin, our former one, Bill Leach, that speaks to my soul. I still go back and listen to Dr. Addison's messages that speak to my soul. They feed me the word. There's something different. Now hear me. I know John Maxwell. I love him. I count him as a friend. But there's something different about listening to a leadership message and listening to a sermon that I know the pastor has received a word from the Lord. Somebody can teach you a skill. Somebody can mentor you in a skill. But there's a difference in hearing from God and hearing the word of the Lord. My prayer has been, Lord, I want to go the way Billy Graham went, a man who preached his life was faithful to the end. Pray for me. Pray for your pastors. Cover us in prayer and surround us. If the Apostle Paul desperately felt the need to the prayer for the church, I'm no Apostle Paul. I need them even more. Secondly, I would say, when you get home, sit down with your notes and write, what did God say to you in the message this morning? What stood out to you? What happened to you that maybe like happened to me a few weeks ago when I was preaching and that what next papa has not left my heart and left my mind? Take notes and keep a journal. The Bible says in Isaiah 55, the rain and snow come down from the heavens and stay on the ground toward the earth. They cause the grain to grow, producing seed for the farmer, bread for the hungry. It's the same with my word. I send it out. I, it always produces fruit. And will accomplish all I want it to, and it will prosper everywhere I send it. I believe that the word of God preached this morning will prosper in your heart, and you will be more attuned to hearing the voice of your Father in your circumstances and in the messages. And I pray for you, and I pray for me, that we will take the warning of Jesus seriously. They hear, but they don't really listen. They don't understand. We want to hear the word of the Lord. And finally, who would you share this message with? Who is it that you would share what God is? You don't have to, it's great, send them to the app, send them to listen, but what God has spoke to you, somebody on the line, somebody in the office or in your classroom. I used to tell my students all the time when I was a youth pastor, share these notes, share these with the students you go to school with. We started out with over 10, a little over 10 students. We ended up with over 400 students because our students took to task sharing in the word of the Lord. I would say to you, share what God, because whatever God gives you, he doesn't mean for you to hoard. He means for you to share. Amen? And then thirdly this morning, God speaks to me through his blessings. God speaks to me through his blessings. A lot of times when I feel myself kind of getting stuck in my thinking, I realize I've been sitting too long or I realize I just need to move and God just did something wonderful just for me. I know it was just for me. Brownstown put in a new walkway right across the street from the church. I call it Dennis's Pathway. I thanked him recently for it. I said, just right across the street from my office and 
So I got up one day this week, and I've been writing. I was thinking and praying. It was a lot going on, and I was praying through some things, and suddenly a song came back to me, and, and it, was, I've had, it was a song that Andre Crouch used to sing, sing, I've had many problems, I've had many trials, you know, but through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. Through it all, I've learned to trust in God, and I was bringing some of these needs that are in our prayer bulletins that are so heavy and so severe, and bringing them to the Lord, and I said, Jesus, help them to see that through it all, they'll learn to trust you. Help them to see you've got their hand, that you've got this, God, that you've got their back, Lord. I don't want to just say to somebody, God's got this, and, and it'd be comforting words to them. I want to be able to say to them, God's got this with the full assurance and conviction. And Lord, you're going to come through and that you're going to help them in this time. And I got to the other side where there's no houses and nobody could hear me. And I began to sing just like Andre Crouch. Not really, but I tried. And I sang through it all, through it all. I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. Friends, in your blessings and in your problems, you can learn to trust in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Think about that. You don't have to prosper and backslide. You don't have to prosper and grow cold. You don't have to be like the church at Laodicea. You can be a man or woman who has your heart set on God, and as long as you will give all the glory to God, as long as you will not touch the glory, as long as you will give Him the tithe, as long as you will tithe your time, as long as you will give Him your treasure and serve somewhere, friends, as long as you give to God what God has said is holy, and you give Him the glory, there is no limit to what God can do through you, and may the Holy Spirit Take those lids off our mind. May the Holy Spirit break those bands from our mind. And may we begin to dream again of what God can do through one man or through one woman that says, Jesus, use me for your glory and honor this morning. Our blessings are meant to be shared. Well, come on, give him another hand of praise. John Piper wrote these words, life is not a straight line leading from one blessing to the next and finally to heaven. Life is a winding and troubled road, switchback after switchback. And the point of biblical stories like Joseph, Job, Esther, and Ruth. Now look at the four names that Pastor Piper chose to use there. Joseph, Job, Esther, and Ruth. Now, I love you. I would never make light of your circumstances or my circumstances. But there aren't any of us who've gone through what Job's gone through. There aren't any of us that's gone through what Joseph went through, or Ruth or Esther. It's to help us feel in our bones, not just in our heads, that God is for us in all these strange turns. God is not just showing up after the trouble and cleaning it up. He is plotting the course 
I'm managing the troubles with far-reaching purposes for our good and for the glory of Jesus Christ. That's exactly what Haley was singing about this morning. That's exactly what I was saying to the man who was dying in his hospital bed. That's exactly what I said to that lady this morning. Friends, through it all, God is plotting for your good and for his glory. We can trust in Jesus Christ's will for our lives. And so we have to learn to listen in times of blessing. In John chapter 1 and verse 16, from his abundance, we have all received one gracious blessing after another. Do you know what a gracious blessing is? A gracious blessing means God gave it to you, but you didn't deserve it. I don't deserve one good thing that God has done for me. I could also say, and not to add words to the Scripture, but God's merciful and God's gracious blessing in my life. Because if He gave me what I deserved, my fate would be far worse than what Job or anyone else ever happened to them. But God's gracious and merciful blessings in your life. And those blessings may be material, they may be spiritual, financial, or physical, but whatever, listen to me, don't miss this, whatever the blessing, whatever the blessing in your life is to enable you to hear the voice of the Lord say, I love you. It's enable to you to hear the witness of the Spirit that now, we are the sons and daughters of God. It's to enable you to be able to respond to him, Abba, Father, what's next, Papa? Because you can trust him for today, and you can trust him for whatever's next. He's a good God. The Bible says in James 1 and verse 17, every good gift and every perfect present. Now stop for just a moment. I understand good gift, but perfect present? Boy, perfect present? Don't you want to always give the perfect present? Don't you always want to give the gift that you just know somehow or another that's going to bring a smile and delight somebody's face? Bible, God doesn't give you a gift with mud on the wheels. When God gives you, it's a good gift. Your gift may be the gift of serving. Your gift may be the gift of helping. Your gift may be the gift of encouragement. Your gift may be the gift of leadership. Your gift may be the gift of miracles or praying in another language. Your gift may be any of those gifts that he lists. But every good gift, every perfect present, every what God has done for you in Jesus, what God has done for you in your family and in your marriage, Sometimes good and perfect gifts that you don't even realize are happening. My son married a wonderful, my second son Christopher married a wonderful young woman, Rachel, June the 1st. I remember my first visit to Paraguay, my first preaching, he's planted a church in Paraguay. And I remember going with a friend of mine I met there, Dave DeTrolio. We went and shopped for some precious stones. They were very inexpensive there compared to the United States market. 
Becky had some of those stones set over the year, but my favorite one she never had set. It was an amethyst, beautiful pear-shaped amethyst. Jewelers would look at it and ask if we wanted to sell it. They wanted to set it, and Becky could never decide. And just a couple of years ago, I said, Becky, I'm in my 60s. I don't know how much longer you're going to live. I want you to have that. I want to see you wear it. I, I, I really wanted her to wear it as a pendant. She says, honey, I've tried, but I just can't ever settle on something. So our son became engaged to a young woman by the name of Rachel DiTrolio. I hadn't seen Dave in years. Rachel was about this high the last time I saw her. And now, somehow or another, coincidentally, on the mission field in another country, my son meets a young woman that doesn't have the time of day for him named Rachel DiTrolio. But he's a Clanton. He doesn't give up. Goes, hey, Bobo, there's a picnic basket, and he's on a hunt. He keeps pursuing Rachel. Finally, just to get rid of him, she agrees to go out with him. And something magical happens. I got to get back to the sermon, but to make a little story short, they end up, they get married, and Thanksgiving, he calls us, and he says, Dad, Rachel doesn't want a uh, a diamond. She wants an amethyst for an engagement ring. Becky and I looked at each other because the week before, I was pressuring Becky again about this amethyst. And I can tell you where we were at. She says, sweetheart, I know you want me to get set, but I don't want to get it set in something I don't like. And we looked at each other, and she says, So we didn't say anything. We said, well, son, if you're a smart man, you will get Rachel what Rachel wants. So a few days later, Becky calls him and says, Chris, we'd like to offer you something if you want it. We don't want to presume, and we don't want to make Rachel uncomfortable. And if you know Chris, Chris has got the first dollar he ever made. George goes, whew, when he lets go of a dollar bill. And Chris says, yeah. So he flies home, they have it set, and I tell this story while I'm doing the wedding for Chris and Rachel. Dave is standing beside me. I tell this story, and Dave looks at me and says, how much did you pay for that amethyst? Right in the middle of the wedding. My point is simply this. It was the perfect present. It was the good gift. It brought tears to Rachel's eyes. It brought tears to Dave and Rose's eyes. It brought joy to mine and Becky's heart. You may not know at the moment, but God is putting something in your hands 30 years later that's going to be a wonderful blessing to somebody else. God has got your back this morning. Somebody give him a hand of praise today. Hallelujah. <laughs> every good gift and every perfect present comes from heaven. It comes down from God, the creator of the heavenly lights who does not change or calls darkness by turning. See God in your blessings. Ask God what he wants to do with your blessings. Don't let a husband who wants you to get a pendant set pressure you. You keep true to what God is saying to you this morning. But you see, there's a principle when God blesses us, He blesses us to make us a blessing. He blesses us to make us a blessing. He blesses us so we can bless others. And the Apostle Paul says, 
you won't lack for giving. As a matter of fact, God will give you more seed so that you can give again. And it's just a principle of what Jesus taught about forgiveness. Give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Through over 40 years of being a pastor, I have never nailed anybody to the wall for their failures. Matter of fact, over the years, as much as possible, the Bible says that love covereth all sin. Trying to deal with sin as graciously and discreetly and only with those that need to know, needing to know. It's a principle. I'm so grateful because, you see, I understand how great my sin was. If Jesus could have just said, okay, Dennis, you know, you really were a bad guy, but I know you want to serve me. I know you want to live for me. So, son, come on, follow me. But my sin was so great. My offense against God was so deep. My wickedness was so rot and stinking that Jesus had to die in order for my sins to be atoned for. You see, the measure was to give it all. And in giving his life, you and I have received life. And he has been raised from the dead. And he has ascended to the Father and sent his spirit to dwell in us. And one day, he's coming back. Do you not see that principle of reciprocity? Give and it shall be given to you. You've been blessed with the perfect gift of forgiveness. Who do you need to forgive? You've been blessed with the perfect gift of peace. Who do you need to bless with peace? You have been blessed with the precious gift of eternal life. Who do you need to share how to find eternal life with Jesus Christ? God speaks to us in our blessings. Every good, merciful gift that he's given us. Can you say amen? And the scriptures say this, if for some reason you haven't yet committed your life to Christ, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Look at that. How many of us can testify God has been wonderfully kind, patient, and tolerant towards us? God has been wonderfully kind and patient and tolerant towards us. Does this mean nothing to you? Have you lost your fascination with what Christ did at Calvary for you? Have you lost your fascination with amazing grace? 
Earlier this year, I took my son outside of a bar on Riverfront Street called Spanky's in Savannah, Georgia. I said, Andrew, it was here that I felt called to preach a sermon on this sidewalk. I said, that wasn't a very popular thing to do. And I know it sounds weird and looks weird, but I felt called in front of Spanky's bar. And with fear and trembling, just lifted my voice and began to talk about the love and the mercy of Jesus Christ. Some people were throwing beer. Some people were jeering. And I'll tell you, I was scared spitless. Preaching outside of that bar, a group of five boys came out of that bar. One of them looked me in the eyes. And he just started crying. And he came over and knelt down on that sidewalk gave his heart to Jesus Christ. I said, Andrew, right here. David and Nolan were with us. I said, right here. He was a pastor's son of an Assemblies of God church in Ohio. There was a reason I stood outside that bar. It wasn't for all the other people that were there. It wasn't for all the other people who mocked and jeered, who didn't understand and wouldn't listen anyway. But God had chosen one young man who had turned his back on Christ. And that night, recommitted his heart to Jesus Christ. You just sang it this morning. I am chosen not forsaken. You are not here by an accident this morning. Don't you see how wonderfully kind and how wonderfully tolerant? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? Would you bow your heads with me this morning? I ask you, O Holy One, sent from heaven this morning to touch our hearts and make us tender once again to the voice of our Heavenly Father in our circumstances, through the sermons, and through, Lord, your blessings. God, may we never go outside the confines of thy word. May we always judge these things. May we not strain to hear some audible voice, but may we instead look for the invisible hand of God. And may we hear you clearly and always answer, Yes, Lord, your servant is listening. This morning, maybe God is calling you like he called that young man at just the right time 
I stand here today before you still with the same sort of fear and trembling I had then. God's calling you to himself. You know that. You feel that. You feel it down deep in your bones to give your life to Jesus Christ, to confess your sins and acknowledge to him you could have never paid for your sin. You could have never saved yourself. Only Christ can do that. Or maybe you're like the wealthy lady that I talked to who wept like a baby. God's calling you to do something this morning. But it's like you're struggling, if I can use the King James word, you're struggling against the pricks of your own conscience. You know this is what God is calling you to do. Seek out the counsel of many advisors. Ask them to pray with you. From everything from the call and the timing, there's wisdom, there's Godly wisdom in the church that God has available for you. So I'm going to invite you to pray with me this morning to surrender your life to Jesus or to surrender to a call from God or to confess, if you're a Christian, to confess that sin that is secret to you and to others, but to God it's known. Lord, every good and gift and every perfect present, it comes down from you. Your spirit is here to convict us and woo us. And whatever the point of need is in our life, for those who need to give their hearts to Christ, I'm going to pray with you. For those who you just need to confess sin, just don't make a big ordeal. Confess it, agree with God, turn from it asking to forgive you. For those of you who may have a call on your life, decide now, today, write it down. You're going to seek out counsel from your small group. Maybe see one of the pastors here at the church. If you want to give your heart to Jesus and you're not sure how to do it, then just pray this prayer with me. Say, Lord Jesus, this is all new to me. But I know down deep in my heart, this is what I must do. I cannot save myself. I know I, I stand convicted of my own sins. And thank you for the gift of opening my eyes. I feel terrible about my sin, Lord. The pastor says there's hope in Jesus. Your word says that you will forgive me even before I call. So right now, I acknowledge my sin. I confess it to you. And I ask you, Lord Jesus, cleanse me.
give me a brand new life. And as much as I know how, I commit my life to you today. In Jesus' holy name. And you know, friend, if you just did that, remember earlier I said we've come to a place that we can't see, but it's more real than where we're at today. A place the Bible describes as a mountain where a myriad of angels are gathered about. The angels in heaven rejoice over your decision to give your heart to Jesus Christ. Church, will you rejoice with the angels this morning and let's thank God for anyone and everyone that prayed this prayer today. Can we do that right now? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Sometimes the sermon service doesn't go as we plan. We feel just a little bit of a check by the Holy Spirit. But I'm going to ask our ushers to come right now. And if you would just gather our collection baskets and meet me down front here. Pastor Rick, if you would come, please, sir. After this service this morning, we want to pray with you if you need prayer. Would you put Luke 638 back up on the screen for me this morning? Years ago, I got fascinated with... I see his little statue in certain people's yards called... His name is Francis of Assisi. I read several books about his life. What a giver he was. Read the verse with me. Give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you give back. Would you give in faith and joy this morning what's holy to the Lord? And would you give with the same joy that you received Christ as Savior, would you give back to Him?